Hey, what's going on, everyone? We are so glad you're choosing to take time out of your day to listen to our sermons. Our prayer for you is that these messages would not replace your belonging to a local church, but would only be supplemental in your walk with Jesus. With that being said, we love you, and we hope you enjoy the message today. Worship the Lord together. You have an opportunity at your home to let your home be a house of worship. And we know that this is a little different this year, but the reality is God is the same each and every day, and he is worthy of praise. So we want you to come to your feet, put your hands together, and give God praise this morning as you're tuning in. Here we go. No 
Lift these words up to the Lord. Every voice should give God praise each and every day. On that day when my strength is failing. opportunity just to be with you, Lord. Pray that you would have your way with us. Lord, let's be able to hear your voice and just keep our eyes focused on you, not the distractions of the world around us, Lord, but we pray that you would work in a way that would allow us to feel your presence and have you move to restore us with joy and peace. Help us to have a heart of worship each and every day, Lord, throughout this week to come. Let us wake up with a renewed spirit of just joy that only comes from you, Lord. So again, we thank you for an opportunity to lift our voices and give you praise. And we look forward to how you're going to move as we look into your word, Lord. Let us receive your word and let it put our hearts in alignment with what you have in store for us throughout this day, Lord. In your name, we pray these things. Amen. Hey, South Valley, good morning, you guys. We are so blessed that you're here. If this is your first time here, we want to especially welcome you, and we would love to invite you to fill out our communication card online. And what that does is that gives us as a staff the chance to get to know you a little bit. We'll reach out to you. We'll be willing to pray with you, answer any questions that you've got. It would be awesome if you can do that for us so that we can connect with you. So if you wouldn't mind doing that, that would be sweet. 
We have a lot happening, y'all, in the life of South Valley, and we are obviously right now online solely, but our hope and our plan, our prayer, our desire is to regather in person again. So our plan is on the 31st to be able to give you an update to let you know where, how we're moving forward at that point in time. We're obviously observing trends in the state and the county, but we're also looking at what's happening in terms of infection rates and how this uh, is affecting members of our own church body. And so we're just asking for continued prayers. We navigate that as a staff and as a community, and we are just so thankful for your grace and for your patience as we do. Also, we got to meet our pastor candidate a couple weeks ago, and as Gilbert announced, the church membership vote of affirmation was a resounding yes, and so at this point, there are just some HR kind of conversations that are happening right now, and we hope to have those resolved within the next couple of days, and we would love nothing more than to be able to have uh, a special announcement regarding our senior pastor here very soon. So we just continue to ask your prayer with that. And then also, if your kids are not yet checking out SBCC Kids on Sunday mornings on their YouTube channel, y'all want to make sure that they do that. Uh, so make sure that you follow SBCC Kids on YouTube. And starting today, actually, the elementary age kids are having small group breakouts on Zoom. So if your kids are within the ages of first grade through sixth grade, y'all want to make sure they get connected with that. It's happening at 9.30 every Sunday morning after they watch the 9 a.m. posting of the video. And they'll be able to engage with leaders from children's ministry here at South Valley. And it is so awesome that they're going to be able to have that opportunity. So if you are looking to get your kids connected to that, go ahead and shoot an email to Pastor Ron, our children's pastor, and he'll be happy to help you. You guys have an amazing day and may the Lord bless and keep you as you move forward in your day. Thank you so much for joining us. We love y'all. Good morning, South Valley. Grace to you and peace from our Lord Jesus Christ. I want to spend just a few moments with you today in, in special prayer for our nation, for, for the, all the things that are going on. Uh, you don't need my commentary on that. You know we have an inauguration coming up, uh, Martin Luther King Day, and you know of all of the, the things associated with our culture right now, the, the hostilities, and, and you know, of course, COVID is still going on, and just there's no lack of things to pray for. Our nation is in desperate need of God. So let's go before the Lord right now and just seek his face. Father God, first of all, we acknowledge that you are the sovereign God of the universe. There has nothing happened that has escaped your notice. And so, Lord, we are confident that though we're in the midst of so much turmoil, not just in our nation, but in our world, that we acknowledge that you're still on the throne, and we find great comfort and peace with that. But, Lord, there's no doubt that our nation is in desperate need of prayer. Father, because the, the racial tensions that have escalated in the past year, Father, we need your peace. We need, God, you to move in this place, this nation, and around the globe. But, Father, we are also facing a, a new leadership in our country, and he needs wisdom. And so we pray, God, for wisdom there and that you would surround him with godly counsel. And Father, we pray for, Heavenly Father, all of those workers who are on the front lines of battling this pandemic. We thank you for their commitment, for their tireless efforts to bring healing and, and health to others. 
Keep your hand upon all of the first responders, all of the doctors and nurses and medical staff, Heavenly Father, that are facing this every single day. I can only imagine the stress they feel. But through this whole thing, Father, we lift up all of those who need to come to Christ. Father, you can use even the adversity that we are facing today to draw people's hearts to you, creating them a, an awareness of their need for salvation. And Lord Jesus, we pray that above everything else, through the change in our government, through the, 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 the pandemic, through all of the things that are just taking down so many people, we pray that Jesus Christ would be glorified in the midst of his people. Lord, bring a spiritual awakening to your church. We know we need it, and so we ask for it all. In Jesus' name, amen. May the Lord bless you. Thank you, Pastor Frank. Much happening this week, and just pray for all that's taking place, for peace and calm in our nation. And uh, thank you, Frank, for leading us in that prayer. And no, folks, don't be worried. Dallas Cowboys is not now the official emblem of South Valley Community Church. Uh, I'll need to have a talk to Frank about wearing a Dallas Cowboys here when he's preaching or praying. That's just ridiculous, okay? That shouldn't be happening. That's illegal, actually. That's banned from now on, Frank, okay? Uh, but talking about football, uh, John Cassis was the chaplain for the Chicago Bears, my team, okay? From 1983 to 1995, the glory years, okay? Uh, he tells the story of how one day in the locker room, Mike Ditka, the legendary head coach, was about to deliver his game day prep talk, and Ditka's eyes landed on uh, the refrigerator, William Perry, okay? Uh, defensive tackle and a mere 340 pounds, okay? Hard to miss him in the locker room. When I get finished, Mike Dicta said, I'd like you to close with the Lord's Prayer. And he then began his talk. Well, meanwhile, Jim McMahon, the outspoken quarterback, punched John Cassis, okay? And uh, hey, he says, look at Perry, look at Perry, whispers McMahon. Uh, he, he doesn't know the Lord's Prayer. And sure enough, William Refrigerator Perry sat with a look of panic on his face, his head in his hands, sweating profusely. Everybody knows the Lord's Prayer, says Cassis back to McMahon in, dis in disbelief. And McMahon nods to him and says, I bet you $50 that Fridge doesn't know the Lord's Prayer. So, like, picture the scene. John Cassis an ordained minister and the chaplain taking a bet on the Lord's Prayer, okay? So, when Coach Dicta finished his pep talk, he asks all the men to remove their caps, and then he nods at Perry and bowed his head. And it was quite a few moments before the fridge spoke in a shaky voice. Now, now I lay me down to sleep I pray the Lord my soul to keep. And Cassus, the chaplain, suddenly felt a tap on his shoulder. It was Jim McMahon, the, the quarterback. Here's the 50 bucks, he whispered. I had no idea Perry knew the Lord's Prayer. <laughs> I, I think it's funny. Okay, okay. Uh, uh, I, I grew up in a church tradition 
where we majored on biblical knowledge. Uh, I mean, we didn't major in love. <laughs> we didn't major in grace, but we did major in Bible knowledge, okay? And uh, our, our majoring in Bible knowledge sometimes led us to worship the Bible more than worship Jesus, okay? Uh, uh, you, might, you might beat me in a pop quiz. You might beat me in a TV quiz. You might beat me in a sports quiz, but you will never beat me on a Bible quiz, okay? Uh, it's got me far in this world. Uh, uh, I, I got a trophy when I was 11 years old for reciting Matthew chapter 25, which as an 11-year-old, was all about the wise and the foolish virgins. <laughs> I, I, maybe that was my sex education, I don't know. But, uh, but my upbringing, which was all about the Bible, fortunately didn't extinguish my desire to study the Scriptures, and that led me to do seminary a couple of times and do some post-grad work on the New Testament. And uh, that, that led me then to begin to deconstruct what I had been brought up to believe, and I began to see the text in new and better and more comprehensive ways through the lens of culture, the lens of history. And so, when I left my banking career to become a pastor, I had a strong mission, get people to rethink, get people to ask new questions about faith, about Christ, about God, about what life is to live it spiritually. And as I did that for myself, I began to see how much about God and about Jesus and about the faith I didn't yet know. And I had more and more questions. And, and those questions didn't lead me away from following Jesus. They didn't stumble my faith or weaken my faith, but instead, those questions only grow my faith, and they keep growing my faith to the point where the sheer size and the amazingness of God and of Jesus still at moments leaves me speechless. So, by the looks of it, I have two extra preaches to do here at South Valley, this week and next week. And so, I'm going to look at Mark's gospel very quickly, just a couple of uh, characters or, or incidents in Mark's gospel. And uh, uh, Mark's gospel was the first written gospel. And I want to open up the text in a fresh way for you to see something of the bigness of Jesus. And when I saw that bigness, it so helped me and inspired me. And I hope it does the same for you. So, Mark's gospel chapter one. Uh, and, and Mark's gospel, the first gospel written, uh, introduces us to Jesus, and he, he's introduced to us by the writer reminding us of the most dominant raw emotion that everyday first century Jews experienced. And that would be the emotion of fear, raw, abject fear. This, this God who has been given, this Jesus, will engage with your most primal emotions. And, and I think, first of all, that's brilliant. Uh, God is not a theory. God is not something uh, remote and removed. He doesn't exist isolated and uh, out with us. God introduces us to the God who is Jesus, God incarnate. 
by talking, by engaging with the everyday realities and struggles and pains that we experience. So, so Mark's Gospel, chapter 1, um, step with me into the world of uh, the first century, uh, near ancient history, and the Jewish culture. And in chapter 1, verse 21, Jesus encounters a man possessed by an evil spirit. And this is fear number one. Fear number one is demon possession. Uh, Jesus is in the synagogue. And a man who was possessed by an evil spirit, sometimes a writer will call them demons, most times, however, refer to them as evil spirits. And, and, and you need to know that this, this would not have rattled the cages of the church goers of the first century. Like, like, can you imagine if someone walked into our church possessed by an evil spirit? Uh, you know someone is possessed because they, they might be screaming out opposition to the worship songs or to the preaching. Uh, they, they might have been worked up in a frenzy or be having convulsions, or they might be shouting out in a strange kind of voice, or they might be Raiders fans. I don't know. But, you know, most churches that I work with, we train our ushers on emergency procedures, on security procedures, on, on how to handle someone like trying to grab the offering plate, okay? But I don't know any church that gives any training on how to deal with someone who's demon-possessed. But in the day of Jesus, first century Palestine, demon possession was not unfamiliar. In fact, it was a known fear, if not their number one fear. In the ancient world, when someone was blind or deaf or moot, they were told it was because they had a spirit of deafness or a spirit of blindness or a spirit of mootness. Evil spirits were the cause of illness, especially mental illness. If something bad happened in your life, like a child was to die or your crops wouldn't grow or their mule dies or their mother-in-law moves in, I don't know, but, but this was because evil was lurking at their door and something bad would happen to them. You know, for many of us, most of, most of us, you know, anybody over the age of 30, we grew up in such a rational world. Science has explained everything for us. Uh, there's what we see and hear and taste and touch and smell. And if we don't see, hear, taste, touch, or smell it, then we, we, it, it, it doesn't exist. If we can't perceive it, it's not reality. We, we are children of the enlightenment, the age of reason. Uh, ours is not a world of evil spirits and demons. Uh, Celtic spirituality. Celtic spirituality speaks of thin places. Uh, those are places where the natural world and the supernatural worlds come together at their narrowest, with only a thin veil between the supernatural and the natural. Uh, I got friends in Africa. You might have friends in other countries, Asia or Latin America, and they, they feel these thin places. They believe in a reality beyond what they perceive and what they don't imagine. They, they understand spiritual realities in a way different than you and I in the West. And the people of the first century, 
uh, they knew this very well. It, it explained for them everything bad that happened. It was their explanation of evil, and it was their number one fear. But the surprise in the story wasn't that there was a demon-possessed man in the synagogue. The surprise in the story was, and if you read it from Mark 21, Mark chapter 1, 21 to 28, the surprise in the story is that the evil spirit recognized Jesus. So, Mark's gospel, chapter 1, verse 24, the evil spirit says, what do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. In, in Mark's story, the Jesus, God-given story, is introduced to us firstly through the voice of an evil spirit, a tormentor. Mark wants us to grasp that this whole story is about deeper and greater spiritual realities than the human eye can see. We're going to have to redefine reality. It's bigger than you think. It's different than you think. Think about this. The first person in the Gospels to identify Jesus was an evil spirit. And Jesus then does something, verses 25 and 26. He tells the evil spirit to leave the man. And he did. <laughs> Now, now, for the people of Jesus' day, this one did catch them by surprise. You know, history tells us of other people who tried to do what we would call exorcisms, and it would involve potents and magic curses and witchcraft, and uh, there's even a story of, of a guy trying to do it where he takes a, takes a pigeon, and he cuts the pigeon open, and he pulls out the liver, and he throws, he throws the liver of the pigeon at the guy with the evil spirit. And, but, but Jesus… Jesus just spoke. No, no tricks, no, no magic wand, no incantations. And the evil spirit flees scared to death. It says he came out of it with a shriek. The evil spirit was afraid. Jesus turns the tables on the cause of fear. And that's the shock in the story. Jesus just spoke, and this happened. And this brings us to the first observation people had of this man, this God-given man, this God-given God, Jesus. He, he has, verse 22, it says, he had authority. And this word authority turns up a lot in Mark's gospel. Authority. Exousia. Let's take a detour here for a short break uh, because I want to make sure that you know what authority means. And if you're not into this kind of thing, then just text or take a nap for like five minutes, okay? In our world, there is what we would call positional authority. Someone holds the position like the mayor of a city, like the principal of a school, like the president of a college, like the president of a country. Well, no, don't go there, Gilbert, don't go there. And you give them respect because they hold that position. But once they're out of that position, they become just like the rest of us. And again, Gilbert, steady boy, don't go there, okay? <laughs> there are those who have authority simply because of the position that they hold. There are those that have authority because 
of their of uh, be, be, because they bear force. So, like, take a guy with a gun. He, he's got quite a lot of authority. But take the gun away, and his authority has gone away as well. Or there are others, and we think about those who have authority, and they are people who have charismatic personalities. It's just something inside of them and, and how they hold themselves and conduct themselves. And, and when you're in front of them, you intuitively know that they're someone that you want to listen to. Uh, a few years ago, I had the chance to hear Mama Maggie. And uh, I got a photo of you of who Maggie, Maggie, Mama Maggie is. She's like a Mother Teresa in Egypt. And uh, incredible person. And she was speaking to a group of people. We were there in the audience. And when she stood on the stage, you could feel it in the audience. She, she spoke quietly, just with a whisper. And the audience were completely hushed. This was a group of leaders, global leaders. Boy, did she have authority. Now, that's authority in our culture. Positional authority, because you hold force, because of your personality, your charismatic. But here's the catch. That's not authority in Jesus' culture. None of the above. The word for authority used here is referring to something unique that a Jewish teacher, a rabbi, might have. So, a rabbi understands that he gained that something, that capability for teaching the Scriptures. He gained it from a rabbi that came before him. So, for every rabbi, there's there's a ceremony, a, a laying on of hands, and one rabbi would pass on to the next rabbi the authority that had been given them. And it goes all the way back in their history to the very first rabbi. And who was that? Well, the very first rabbi in Jewish tradition was Moses. And so, Moses had laid on his hands to the next, 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 all the way down, right up to the age of Jesus, okay? And, well, your question you've got to ask is, well, who laid or who, who laid their hands? Who anointed Moses? And the answer is God. So, God anointed Moses, and then Moses has commissioned and anointed every rabbi.